0: Welcome to Vet Talk with Royal Canaan, where we address an array of topics relevant to veterinarians and veterinary clinics. I'm Brenda Andreessen, co CEO at Stevens and Associates, and your host for this conversation. Today's episode is centered on sustainability, a topic that is critical to the future of our industry as we work together to create a better world for pets. But it's a topic not well understood by everyone. The reality is sustainable protein sources will continue to play a larger role in the diets of our cats and dogs as we look for paths to support their nutritional needs. Veterinarians and pet care professionals have an important role to play in consumer education as pet owners begin to reexamine the environmental impact of what's in their pet's bowl. So proactive and informed conversations really can serve to break down these barriers and the hesitancies that exist as our industry works to incorporate these ingredients to deliver a really sound nutritional foundation. The Pet Sustainability Coalition is a major player in partnering with brands and industry leaders to examine their environmental and social practices, making them the perfect thought leaders for this conversation. And we are pleased to have Caitlin Dudosh, co-founder and Senior Advisor at the Pet Sustainability Coalition, joining us alongside Dr. Ann Ward, Scientific Services Veterinarian at Royal Canin North America.
1: Welcome. Thank you so much for the invitation and I'm looking forward to sharing the work of the coalition with your audience.
0: This is gonna be, I think, a really insightful conversation for everybody. So Caitlin, let's start with you and tell us a little bit about yourself and about the coalition. When did you start working in the sustainability industry?
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I've been working in sustainability before entering the pet industry, but my time in the pet industry really started 10 years ago in 2013 uh, when the Pet Sustainability Coalition was co-founded. So I helped build the concept around really being a uniting um, organization to bring together the pet industry to address our environmental and social impacts along with my co-founder, Chris Bentley. Um, And that was 10 years ago. So, uh, you know, in those early days, working with just a few brands to really help them get up and running but today we work with over 200 different companies um, in 16 different countries around the world um, and really focused on sustainable ingredients sustainable packaging as well as diversity equity and inclusion
0: so what does that look like what how does the coalition support this conversation on sustainable proteins specific to the pet industry
1: Yeah, sure. So um, we were really founded uh, with the concept that sustainability expectations from consumers were increasing and how can we help businesses meet that demand? Um, And so we work one on one with each company to help them uh, measure and improve their environmental and social impact. A lot of the time that has to do with ingredients as well. But we also, because we have a diversity of member companies from brands to suppliers, distributors, retailers, producers, bringing them all around the same table to really advance our big key impact areas, including things like ingredients. So, you know, to date, we've really been focused on creating a strong foundation to help unify and educate the pet industry around how do we even define what a sustainable ingredient is. So in 2021, we released our first kind of um, keystone report around our four factor framework for sustainable ingredient sourcing. And so really have focused on education as well as events and awareness. We just, uh, with our annual conference, we integrate uh, sustainability, specifically um, ingredient education to really help inform, educate, increase awareness, and to make this a priority issue, to continue to elevate this as an area of focus. You know, if you look at the total impact of a product, 20% might be on the bag itself, and 80% really resides in the ingredients inside that bag. So as an organization, really helping to elevate and maintain consistency with this conversation and help unify the voice of the industry.
0: There is a lot of content out there now. Probably not enough in your in your mind, Caitlin, but a lot of content on LinkedIn. There's been quite a bit published in veterinary publications as well. Um, so clearly sustainability is a growing topic. I mean, Anne, what do you see happening in the veterinary profession with regard to all of the noise out there about it?
2: You know, I think sustainability definitely is an area of growing interest for veterinary professionals. And you know, there have been some recent surveys. Of vet students as well as practicing veterinarians that have highlighted significant concerns about the impact of climate change and really an in- an interest in having more sustainable hospitals. Although I do think there is a gap in terms of opportunities for practitioners to really learn how to put this into practice in the same vein, we know that pet owners are really interested in the sustainability of their veterinary services as well. There was a survey, I think it was done in 2022 that indicated that two thirds of pet owners would value knowing their veterinarian received training in animal health impacts of sustainability. And more than half say they would pay more for services at a clinic with a reduced environmental impact. So that's huge. There really is a big opportunity for us in the veterinary profession to rise to the occasion and meet this client need. And also, of course, you know, meet the needs of our patients in the most sustainable fashion that we can.
0: So when talking to sustainable fashion, especially from the perspective of of, of Royal Cane and I hear we're talking about sourcing the ingredients and products, right? So does sourcing sustainable proteins and responsibly
2: sourced raw materials, does, does that improve climate change? Absolutely. Food production has a huge environmental impact. I think Caitlin already alluded to that a little bit in some of her comments today. You know, last time I was looking at the statistics around a quarter of our global greenhouse gas emissions come from food production. And, you know, what's really was eye opening to me was when I learned that that's roughly equivalent to the greenhouse gas emissions that come from the transportation industry. Even more interesting to me is that a little over half of the greenhouse gas emissions from food production are actually coming from the production of animal products. So consequently, what we eat, what our pets eat, this has a huge environmental impact. And back in 2017, there was a scientist at UCLA, Dr. Gregory Oaken, who did an analysis of the environmental impacts of food production or consumption by dogs and cats in the United States. And he estimated that feeding our dogs and cats is the equivalent environmental impact of feeding an additional 62 million people. That's huge. That's a
0: massive number. And I suspect if veterinarians were to share that with their pet owners, they would really be shocked to to hear that their little fluffy they have brought in has had that kind of that kind of potential impact. So it's clearly an increasingly important topic as we bring more animals into home. But are there other impacts, for example, that are there other impacts, for example, social impacts by transitioning to other kinds of sustainable proteins like algae oil?
1: So from the Pet Sustainability Coalition's perspective, when we look at the overall um, sustainability impact of an ingredient. We actually think that in the environmental impact is really only one of four broader categories of impact. So we actually take a more holistic approach where we define um, and evaluate sustainability related to its environmental impact, but also animal welfare, right? So what are the ethics of how animals um, were treated throughout the process of the food development system? Social impact, so specifically how are human communities um, and people impacted through our food and agricultural system, as well as nutrition, right? Are we able to meet the dietary needs um, of pets? So when we look at um, defining what a sustainable ingredient is, it's really its overall uh, performance in all four of those key areas. So you mentioned,
0: Anne, in your prior comments, we were talking a little bit about greenhouse gas emissions too. So how can we connect the dots more clearly in conversation than with
2: pet owners to help them understand that? Yeah, that? That's a huge question. And I think that... In terms of greenhouse gas emissions, we know that production of protein has the highest environmental costs when it comes to food production and different types of protein can be more or less environmentally costly for us to produce. So for example, soy production will produce a fraction of the greenhouse gas emissions of chicken meal production, which in turn produces a fraction of the greenhouse gas emissions that we have with beef production. So if we can choose pet foods that are based on less environmentally costly uh, protein sources, like chicken and soy, as opposed to say beef or lamb, we can reduce the environmental impact of feeding our pets. But it's not just the type of animal protein or plant protein that we choose. It's also, you know, understanding that certain food ingredients or protein ingredients that people really like to eat may not be the same food ingredients that pets like to eat. And so there are a lot of byproducts of human food production that are very nutritious for the pet that we can include in pet food to help reduce the environmental impact as well. When I'm talking to pet owners, I think that it's really important that we help the pet under the pet, excuse me. When I'm talking to pet owners, I think it's really important to help the pet owners understand that pets need nutrients and not ingredients to be healthy. And when we understand this, we can really free ourselves from the notion that say real meat must be the number one ingredient in every pet food. And instead we can start to look to ingredients that are less environmentally costly to produce. I also like to remind veterinary professionals that the only true determinants of protein quality from the standpoint of nutrition are really the digestibility of that protein and the amino acid profile provided by that protein. And as long as a protein ingredient can deliver on those two parameters, it really doesn't matter where the protein comes from, from a health and nutrition perspective. So again, that frees us to prioritize selection of protein based on its environmental impact, as well as some of the other impacts that Caitlin referenced.
0: That's a really terrific point, and I think for everybody to understand, since there is such an impression that good quality protein has to come from these animal protein sources, but clearly we're having a discussion here about the value and benefit of other protein sources like mushroom-based, insects, um, the byproducts, as you've discussed here. I mean, um, Caitlin, anything you have seen in your research that helps to support what kind of a difference that can Mm -hmm. actually make?
1: Yeah. So um, again, kind of going back to these four factors, right? So if you look at some alternatives that are coming into the market and you put them through kind of this evaluation, um, if you look at, you know, let's just choose um, raised or grown meat, for example, Um, right? There are no animals used in the process of growing meat, right? And so you eliminate all of the impacts related to animal welfare with just that simple choice. If you look at insects, for example, the environmental impact of raising insects is incredibly small compared to most of the other proteins that are used in pet food today, right? And so you have kind of a stellar, a, a stellar or an outsized uh, impact in that category. And so I think, you know, what we're seeing is. Uh, as we're evaluating the pr- common proteins that are used in the industry today, we're really evaluating, hey, what are the options outside of these that we can think of alternative proteins um, as opportunities uh, to have high impact ingredients that still deliver on nutrition while minimizing that environmental impact, um, in some cases eliminating um, animal welfare issues altogether um, and providing you know, a, a great and healthy workforce um, for people in communities as well. And so we see a lot of innovation in that space. You know, there are are challenges right there are challenges around um, you know the health and safety regulation process and how long it takes to get through that for new ingredients it's a very extensive process um, and so we, you know we can't make that transition immediately um, and so I think it's important also not just to think that these solutions will be silver bullet solutions, but that there is a transition plan um, where companies may, you know, source multiple kinds of different alternative proteins and looking within their current profile, right? 80% of pet foods have some type of chicken ingredient. So really looking at, hey, how do we still source chicken today in our transition process to more sustainable proteins in a more sustainable fashion? So how can we um, source from uh, more transparent and traceable suppliers um, that meet the expectations of our brand, whether that means they have an environmental policy in place, right? So they're managing um, the density of their herd. They're focusing on breed, size and type. And so there's all sorts of ways to work within the existing um, kind of protein portfolio to have improvements as well as starting to transition to more alternative and sustainable proteins.
0: So understanding the need to educate on on all of that right now, the veterinarian is very clearly at the center. Of providing a lot of that education to to their pet owners. So you know, and what does that conversation look like? How might a veterinarian go about helping to support the shift to more sustainable proteins when they're having that conversation in practice?
2: Well, that's really a million dollar question because you know many clinical veterinarians, will probably agree with me when i say that gosh we're we're really strapped for time and having nutrition conversations as a part of every visit is already something that we struggle with as veterinarians but Although we are really strapped for time and we're already struggling a bit with our nutrition conversations, I think it's a really, really important conversation to have. And whenever I'm having a nutrition conversation with a pet owner, I really like to lead with open-ended questions to understand what's important to that pet owner when they're selecting a diet for their pet. And when I do this, a whole lot of different things will come to light, but I've found that Pet owners actually very rarely offer up information about say an interest in sustainability, but they do often express concerns about the inclusion of certain ingredients in a diet like grains or like byproducts. And they'll express concerns specifically that they think these ingredients may not be healthy for their pet. So, you know, when I hear concerns like those, I actually first like to compliment the pet owner for taking such a keen interest in their pet's nutrition. And then again, I segue into explaining to the owner that pets need nutrients and not ingredients to be healthy. And once we've reached agreement on that, then I can explain successfully to the pet owner that ingredients like byproducts or plant-based protein sources can actually be a rich source of nutrition as part of a complete and balanced diet. And in many cases have actually been intentionally selected for inclusion in the diet due to their lower environmental impact. And the, you know, that's where that connection is really made. But the key thing that I want to emphasize here is that we have to lead with those open-ended questions to find that place of mutual understanding with the client before the client is going to be prepared to hear the message that we want to deliver.
0: This has been such a phenomenal conversation and there's so much more, I am sure each of you would like people to know. So with that in mind, do you have any specific references that you would recommend that our listeners um, dig into on their own?
1: I'm happy to take a stab at that first. Um, So, you know, I think a couple of different resources that are super helpful um, for me, and there's also a lot of new information coming out specifically around the overlap between nutrition and sustainability. For so long, there's been a disconnect between those two things of how do sustainable ingredients um, potentially differ nutritionally. Um, And there's just a a large new body of information that's being um, really spearheaded by the natural food industry um, that's showing a lot more correlation between the nutritional density and bioavailability of foods um, that go through or have a stronger um, sustainable agricultural impact. Um, and so the, the methodology of creating those ingredients does actually impact their overall nutrition. Um, so I would really recommend that folks take a look at some of that new research that's coming out. Also happy uh, to provide the four factor framework, which is available for free download on our website that really just serves as a foundation for people to understand where are we today? What is the state of sustainable ingredients um, in the US today? And uh, our organization is releasing an update um, for pet food makers and manufacturers um, around how do you take action, right? How do you to accelerate, um, sustainability in your sourcing strategy. Um, and so that, uh, will be available uh, in November as well.
0: Great. Sounds like
2: great information and anything you want to add to that list. Well, those are some great resources that Caitlin shared. And, you know, when I think about some of the resources that I've found fascinating over the years, one article that I think many veterinarians who have an interest in sustainable protein sources would enjoy is an article in Science from 2018 by Poor and Nemechek, and it's called Reducing Food's Environmental Impacts Through Producers and Consumers. I found this article absolutely fascinating because it goes into quite a bit of detail outlining the environmental impact of various protein sources, not just from a greenhouse gas emission standpoint, but from a land use standpoint, a water quality standpoint, an acidification standpoint. It really looked at a lot of different environmental factors, and it was a great jumping off point for me to start to think about how our nutrition choices can really impact long-term environmental sustainability. Fantastic.
0: It is so hard to put a topic of the magnitude of this into just a short podcast, obviously. Um, But thank you for sharing so much valuable information in the time that we've had. Are there final thoughts you would like to leave our listeners with as they drive away from, from this really fantastic conversation?
2: Well, you know, for me, I think one thing that I really want to touch on today is that it's not just important to consider what our pets eat, but it's also really important that we consider how much our pets eat. And this is true, not just from a health standpoint, but also from an environmental standpoint. We know in the United States that about 60% of cats and dogs are overweight or obese. And this has huge, huge health implications for these pets. But not only is this harmful to the health of our pets, it also means that we're putting a greater burden on the environment by overfeeding our pets. So if we go back to that estimate I shared with you earlier from Gregory Oaken, that estimated that feeding American pets is equivalent to feeding 62 million people, And then we consider the impact of feeding our pets just 10% more calories than they actually need. That could equate to the environmental cost of feeding another 6.2 million people. So we really should be measuring what's going in the bowl, not just for the health of our pets, which of course comes first, but also for the health of the environment.
1: You know, to add to what Anna's is saying around um, caloric intake uh, and really the impact of pets at large. you know, if you think about those millions of pets that or the decrease in total impact we could have by feeding pets, how much they need instead of more, I think the estimation is that it's about twenty five percent of all of the proteins raised in the United States go to feed pets, and that would make us the fifth largest consumer of protein by country around the world. And so I think what I would, Um, leave listeners to think about is really not underestimating the importance and the significance of this issue um, and the opportunity that we have as pet owners um, and pet industry uh, professionals to really take this issue seriously and to think about our opportunity to contribute and participate in a really positive way in the you know, sustainability of the agricultural system um, and the evolution that needs to take place. I truly believe the pet industry can unlock um, and accelerate the whole process of agricultural improvement by participating in this process. And instead of thinking of ourselves as, oh, we're just a you know small adjacent industry that uses byproduct, um, we're not really a driver, a market driver, I really don't believe that to be the case. Um, I think economically we have an opportunity to really help farmers um, evolve in Into uh, healthy uh, and sustainable business models um, for the health of our pets, for the planet, for people, Um, I really think the pet industry has an enormous and exciting opportunity um, to really participate in a positive way.
0: This has been such a fabulous and insightful conversation for so many. And, you know, Dr. Ann Ward and Caitlin Dudosh, thank you so much for taking your time this afternoon to, uh, to talk with us. Thanks, Brenda. It was great to be here.
1: Thank you, Anne and Brenda for the invitation, and I hope we get a chance to meet again.